1: everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. We are coming to you after the Revolution's 2-1 win over Hartford Athletic in the U.S. Open Cup. With the win, the New England Revolution will go on to face D.C. United, uh, New York Red Bulls, or the Pittsburgh Riverhounds of the USL in the next round. That is going to be determined later tonight, but uh, we're going to talk mostly about Hartford today uh, not a very satisfying win seconds consecutive not very satisfying 2-1 win at home uh, game probably should have been put away a little bit sooner there were some sloppy mistakes in the back but at the end of the day uh, Bruce Arena puts in uh, Carlos Heel puts in the starters late in the game and they come away with the goal that they need I'm Greg Johnstone joining me today is Seth Maycomer of the Blazing Musket Seth how you doing today
2: yeah real good always glad to talk soccer with you so uh looking forward to the conversation
1: and I appreciate you hopping on with me. This is kind of an impromptu podcast. We weren't originally going to do one, uh, but some people were not very thrilled about it on Twitter, so we decided to uh, kind of hop on when we could. Uh, also, you have a Kaelin Carr interview that we are going to be posting in the back half of this episode after we are done talking Hartford Athletic. Uh, so uh, be sure to stick around for that. But Seth, why don't you tell me your key takeaway from this game? And by the way, key takeaways are brought to you by our friends at The Rebellion. Go to nerebellion.org to learn more about them, their organization, and how you can get involved in supporter culture. Uh, Seth, what's your key takeaway?
2: Yeah, for me, I think this is the classic uh, formula for the U.S. Open Cup is that you, you start with a younger roster or you start with some reserve rosters. And then later in the game, the 60, 70th minute, you bring in some of those experienced guys to kind of finish the job if you need those guys. Um, and I think it was good to see some of those reserves, some of those younger players uh, strut their stuff and, and get the opportunity um, you know, the, the more we get film on some of these young homegrowns, the the more we try to understand who they are as players. And I think you saw that Jack Paniatu is really good with his feet. You know, he, he's good at faking one way and going the opposite way, good in tight spaces. Um, he needs to work on that physicality a little bit, but we can really see the talent that's there. Uh, a player like Noel Buck, I think he continues to show that he is a defensive presence, that he can embody someone, that he can uh, read the game well, and, and he continues to add tape to that. Uh, Justin Renex with the goal. We're seeing that he's the type of guy who, who makes hard runs into the box. Um, remember, we saw him at the youth national team playing for the, the U.S. Uh, youth national team and, and scoring that goal, I believe, against France. And everyone was really excited. That's the type of goal that we were seeing, the um, type of moments that we're seeing him do in the U.S. Open Cup. So we're seeing those types of runs. Uh Eshmir is very direct. He has good feet. He wants to go out players, take people on, take shots. Uh, very similar to a Carlos Heel type of player. And I think one of the big ones for me was getting a little bit more time uh, looking at Rivera. I think Rivera has shown that he has some quality, that he can read the game well, that he can pick out a pass. Um, it hasn't totally come off, but Rivera really impressed me. Uh, in the U.S. Open Cup game on Tuesday. So for me, it, this is just a formula. It's going to be a little sloppy. It's going to be a little disjointed because a lot of these guys aren't playing a lot of minutes. But if they can do well and showcase themselves, they can get more minutes later on. And if they can hold on to that game, then you can bring on a guy like Carlos Heel, which is a little bit of a cheat code when it comes to the U.S. Open Cup.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting when you compare this lineup and this strategy to last year. Bruce Arena in the first game, the first Revolution game in the U.S. Open Cup, they played FC Cincinnati at home. They really went all out. Uh, They really played everyone. Uh, They they played most of their starters, and they destroyed FC Cincinnati 5-2. FC Cincinnati did not put forward uh, their starters. Uh, And then they would go to New York City FC and played a much weaker lineup, and they lost that game in extra time. And I think Bruce Arena seems to want to win these games, and I think bringing in... Dave Romney and Carlos Hill and bringing in you know, four starters all at once to to close the game. I think that kind of shows that. Uh, But he's going to also give opportunities when you can. I think playing a USL side in Hartford, who's also, by the way, struggling a little bit. They're not exactly lighting it up right now in USL. I think that afforded him the ability to see how these players measured up, how these homegrowns measured up. And I think we learned a lot about the team that went out there and started. You're talking about the homegrowns, even Omar Gonzalez. Omar Gonzalez has played six minutes, in two games in MLS so far, I thought he played fine. I thought he played a pretty solid game. And that's not something that I think a lot of people going into the season had a lot of confidence in Omar, but I have a little bit more confidence in Omar. We learned a little bit about Ben Sweat and Josh Bulma, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, You know, we got to see performances of how these players measure up to, albeit a weaker team than the Revs normally see. Um, I think, you know, the fans learned a little bit of something. And and I think Bruce Arena and the staff learned a little bit about something when you put these 11 uh, against a, a team in a competitive environment. Um, you probably don't really get to see that in practice. So uh, I think that this was beneficial to the Rebs. Uh, but at the same time, I think Bruce Arena knows he wants to win this competition. He wants to win these games in advance of the tournament. And fingers crossed that we get the Pittsburgh Riverhounds in the next round uh, because I think they are the weakest of the three teams in the draw. And also I think you'll see a similar scenario where you see an 11 with homegrowns and backups and reserves to rest some of your star players. Uh, but you know, if push comes to shove, they'll, they'll unload the clip if they need to, to, to win the game. So, um, no, I I was pretty satisfied with that win and with Bruce's management of the situation. So, um, Seth, Real quick, we got a question here that I'm going to work in. It's from Tyler O'Brien. He says, thought all the homegrowns had pretty solid showings, but who were you most impressed by? For me, it was actually Tico. Set piece delivery was solid and actually had really er, and had really good vision. Probably gets a second assist if Barrero doesn't sky that shot. He's talking about the shot in the second half that Dylan Barrero was going for the upper right corner, skyed it over the bar. Uh, Seth, was there a homegrown player that stood out to you on the, the evening?
2: Yeah, R- Rivera is for me because, um, you know, Buck, we know what Buck is able to bring. Um, Rivera, we've, we've seen him get opportunities, but we've seen him go in and out of the lineup and, and in and out of, like, making uh, any minutes on a game day roster. So I think uh, he's, he's gaining some confidence, showing what he can do. Like you mentioned, the set piece was really good. His ability to find a pass, um, especially after the— The last game against sporting kc he had that breakaway opportunity and he doesn't end up finding the pass or or his shot doesn't go the, the right way that he wants it to go i think a game like tuesday night is is a really good showcase for a player like him so um like you mentioned games like this is all about building confidence for the player but also the coaching staff and also the fans to be like oh this is what this player can do and this player can get on the field um, so I think, you know, a game like Tuesday night gives me a little bit more confidence that he is able to get on the field. I think it's also good that we saw a little bit from Justin Rennicks as well, because I think he's in a similar situation that Eshmir and Jack Paniatu and Noah Buck has really stolen the spotlight in terms of homegrowns and these older homegrowns in terms of Rennicks and Rivera people are kind of being down on them. And for, you know, Rennix to score a goal and Rennix to make a lot of really good runs into the box, it gives you a little bit more confidence that um, maybe he can go onto the field. I'm reminded, uh, I can't remember exactly what season it was, but, Rennix wasn't playing a, a lot. And then all of a sudden towards the end of the season, you know, Bruce Arena started using him more and, and even into the, the playoffs, I believe. Uh, and I think you're seeing why he does have some of those qualities. So I think it's good for those types of players to have opportunities because um, the, the game day roster right now is very, very tight. You know, like even Noah Buck is going to have a hard time getting minutes when everyone is healthy. Um, so it, it's good for these guys to have a, a little showcase and to build that confidence
1: yeah i think if we're going for the best home grown of the night i'd probably go with noel buck i thought he played phenomenal i think he he could be a starter in mls for most teams i think he's just blocked by polster and blessing right now um but if he was starting every single game for the revs i wouldn't i wouldn't mind and i thought he played pretty well uh in this game um but in in terms of who I, kind of stood out to me. I think Damian Rivera is my choice as well. Um, he could have had a second assist there to Barrero. He could have had a third assist uh, in the first half. He kind of has a nice through ball into uh, Justin Renick's, puts it right on Rennix's feet, uh, and leads him to a breakaway, but Rennox has a bit of a poor touch that goes right to the keeper. Um, I mean, that was a beautiful pass. A couple minutes later, he had a nice little pass to the outside to uh, It was kind of a diagonal ball to Dylan Barrero. I don't think Barrero was expecting it. Goes out for a goal kick. Um, he, he displayed some really good vision and some really good passing in this game. He had three chances created. Only 65% pass accuracy but i don't think that tells the whole story um he he played pretty solidly and you know we've only seen him really in that charlotte game where he didn't really impress us a lot and most of the time I feel like we've seen him on the left side I think I had some questions about seeing him on the right side he played pretty well on that right side I I thought he he played a very very strong game and it was encouraging to see and I think for most people we've written off Rivera as a bit of a depth piece at this stage Um, but I was really encouraged from what I saw and I hope he gets more minutes uh, in the second round of the U.S. Open Cup because I I thought he had a a pretty good step forward Um, and I'll give Renick some credit too Um, obviously he had the goal pretty nice goal there um, he almost had a second one there, which, uh, I think was Barrero. Um, he got a, he got a foot on it, which Richard Sanchez saved. Um, uh, that was also in the first half. Pretty, pretty decent. Uh, I, I just don't think Justin Rennox's ceiling is too high at this stage. Um, but overall it was encouraging from, from what I saw overall. So yeah, pretty good game from both of them. But I think Dylan, uh, Damian Rivera, uh, is the correct answer there. Uh, My key takeaway, I'm going to go to the back line now, and I'm going to take a question from Andy from Revs Nation, because this is where I want to go. Ben Sweat. I want to talk about Ben Sweat, the new guy in town. Um, We saw him a little bit Saturday. He looked a little disoriented. Didn't look amazing. Didn't look great. Um, This game, I thought he didn't have a particularly good game at all highlighted mostly by a back pass that turns into a three on two opportunity by Hartford, which probably could have been a goal uh, if their attacker gets the shot on target. I believe that was the shot that ended up hitting the crossbar. Ben Sweat also pushed up a lot. I don't know if that was tactical. Um, It seems like he was trying to overlap with Dylan Barrero a lot, and it seemed like Hartford was really countering down that right side a lot. Ben Sweat, I don't think has the speed necessarily, like DeJuan Jones, to get back and and, and make up that space he's given up. Um, But uh, he was For someone that pushed up a lot, he didn't really have much of an impact offensively going forward. Um, Footmob says he created three chances. I don't remember those three chances, uh, but a bit of a bizarre game where it seemed like he was pushing up, kind of trying to play an attacking fullback role. Um, and I thought he was pretty ineffective, and it was just very, very noticeable going back the other way. He, he was lacking a little bit defensively, so I, I didn't think it was a very good game for men's Sweat. Obviously, he's new. Obviously, this is a small sample size. But this, combined with kind of the comments you saw a lot of Sporting Kansas City fans have, a little little concerned. And I know we kind of talked about this last week about the signing, that this is an MLS veteran. He's coming in. He's going to be an upgrade over Ryan Spaulding. I don't remember Ryan Spaulding having these uh, problems. So, again, maybe we'll just chalk it up to new guy in town, still getting used to his teammates, still getting used to the system. uh, But not very encouraging start in a Revolution jersey from Ben Sweat.
2: Yeah, I think it leaves a little to be desired for sure. Um, in regards to him pushing forward, I think that's part of his game. You know, in over uh, 100 uh, MLS appearances, roughly around 100 uh, MLS appearances, he's had 14 assists. So I think he is someone that likes to get in the attack, offer those types of crosses. And I imagine, like, his veteran presence um, combined with those ideas of, of crossing is why um, Bruce Arena went after him and signed him as a backup piece to uh, DeWan Jones. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I agree that it, it, it wasn't a stellar performance from him. Um, you know, hopefully it's just, you know, getting off some rust. Uh, he obviously was cut earlier in the season, waived earlier this season, had some time off before signing with the revolution. So you just hope that maybe he's, you know, getting a little bit fitter, getting a little bit sharper, getting to know his teammates. Uh, maybe if he's, um, you know, getting more time in practice, he's going to be okay. But yeah, it, it I think that some people, when he was signed, they're like, "Oh, there's the replacement to, for Dewan Jones," and I don't think he's the replacement for Dewan Jones. I, I think that if Dewan Jones were to leave at any point, um, you're signing another player. That the reality is that this uh, Ben Sweat is a, a depth piece, um, someone that seems pretty good in the locker room. He spoke to the media twice now, um, and he's just someone that's a classic Bruce Arena guy to bring in to to make sure that um, there's someone there with experience to fill in at times.
1: Also should note that Ben Sweat, uh, according to FootMob, one for five on ground duels, which is not what you want to see from a defender. Again, he did have four interceptions, five recoveries, one for one on tackles. Um, and as I say, he did get three chances created and 84% pass accuracy. So we'll, we'll give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, but not a great start. And again, um, I, I can't imagine he's challenging DeWan Jones for his job, not that anyone was, one was expecting that. Also, I don't know where the lie has come from that he's a center back. I, I don't know, people on, on social media have been saying, I I guess because this coincides with Kessler's injury, someone I've seen people theorize that he's a center back. He's definitely not a center back. Um, So I think Ryan Spalding last year had something like 400 minutes. I can't imagine Ben Sweat is going to get a ton more than what Ryan Spalding would have gotten. I don't think he's going to be added to the rotation anytime soon. So um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. It'll be interesting to see if he gets another U.S. Open game overall. Not positive reviews from me on Ben Sweat so far. From one outside back to another outside back, Hollow says, what did you think about Joshua Bulma? Uh, Clyde was impressed. I'd say stock up, but think outside back isn't his best position. Uh, This is our first look at Joshua Bulma too, uh, the beauty of the U.S. Open Cup. What are your thoughts on Joshua Bulma?
2: Yeah, I thought he brought a lot of energy. Um, I think where he's going to play is a big question. Um, You know, it was mentioned that he could potentially be uh, a center midfielder when he was drafted um, by the revolution, he's also someone who's more comfortable playing on the outside as well. And even plays some minutes there with Revs too uh, during preseason. And obviously in the open cup, he played right back. So would be really curious about where he projects in the future, where he slots in. I-, I think that if he can become a right back, that might be his best path forward. Um, you know, you look at a guy Brandon by and Dewan Jones, those guys were midfielders in college and they transitioned uh to playing that role. And and Baum was kinda similar where he's a really athletic, high energy player, um, got some uh skills. I thought he settled into the game. I thought early on it it wasn't Um, his best performance. Obviously you have to think about your positioning um, when you're going forward and offering stuff on the the right flank. Uh, You also have to think about like, you know, defending and how to make sure that you're, you're going one V one and blocking players. Um, He did have a really big moment towards the end of the game when that, that, I'm not actually sure where it was in the game, but basically the ball, you know, was, was going around the box and it, it somehow does not end up in the back of the net and Bulma was there to to block the final shot and and you know got it out of bounds. So I think he's he's settled in. Um, I think that there's potential there because he is an athletic um, individual who is young.
1: Yeah, that was that was the near own goal when Bulma uh, clears it and it bounces off Omar Gonzalez and the ball rolls off the post. Um, that was a I'm sure everyone has seen that clip uh, if they weren't watching the game live. Uh, that was a, a heart attack inducing moment. Um, but yeah, over overall. You look at his football ratings here, I was kind of looking at the stats to see if there was anything that I, I didn't see with the eye test. He had 12 recoveries. He seemed like he was moving the ball up and down that right wing pretty well. He is an attacker by trade, so I, I think kind of being aggressive, pushing up, uh, kind of winning the ball, um, he seemed to be fine there. But defensively, he seemed a little bit raw, one uh, for six on ground duels. He did have a turnover in the first half that led to a, a shot, I believe, uh, on target, and um, yeah, I, I, I'm i not in love with Joshua Bulma as an outside back, I, and I think you're right, and I think Paulo's right here, too, where um, I'm not sure this is his best position. I know when he was drafted, there was talk about him playing kind of an eight and potentially being in the starters or running for a starting gig as a, a, an eight uh, in that midfield. Um, and then Latif Bussing was acquired. Uh, it seemed like that has completely fizzled out, and now they're almost... I don't want to say forcing him in right back, but where could he be useful? Where could he, he see some minutes? I think outside back is where they are lacking right now, and so that's why they've put Bulma back there. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not really sold on him as being an outside back, but, again, hopefully we get Pittsburgh in the the, the U.S. Open Cup uh, next round so we get him again. Maybe we could see a little bit more. Um, maybe he just needs some minutes. And and anytime you're learning a new position, too. I mean, I remember when DeJuan Jones moved to left back, he was not a stellar defensive player in his starting you know, first few minutes with the team either, uh, and he's improved every single year, essentially. Uh, so maybe this is just a situation where Joshua Bulma is playing a position for the first time ever, uh, and, he, and he's getting there. But overall, I think Brandon By's job is um, pretty safe. So uh, Seamus Magoo says, Anyone else concerned about Dylan Barrero? I know it was just a U.S. Open Cup game, but he seemed ex- uh, exceptionally unimpressed with being there. He was disappointing to watch him and sweat, but for very different reasons. Um, And I believe we, we just had the Bruce arena press conference, Seth, I I think he, uh, Bruce made some comments about Barrero that they're pushing him to be more consistent, something to that effect.
2: Yeah. Sam Minton asked about Dylan Barrero and and how he did um, on Tuesday night, especially in light of the red card that he received before. Uh, He said that Dylan Barrero could have done better. And I think most of us would agree um, that it wasn't his best game. Uh, I thought, in some ways, you know, Barrero was kind of doing too much at times. Uh, I think that when we see Barrero best, he's that outside player that takes a guy on and goes to goal. And uh, he wasn't really finding the same chemistry that he normally does. And maybe he was asked to to, to play make a little bit more because he was you was know, one of the more experienced guys that was on the field, even though he is very young. Um, I thought like his shooting. What I was a little bit more concerned was like his shooting. Like there was that great ball, like you mentioned from Rivera, and and. Um, he skies and it doesn't do well in that opportunity. Um, but other than that, like I really thought it was kind of a chemistry thing that, you know, you, you go out there and and you have different types of players um, without Carlos heel, obviously, you know, Barrero becomes a focal point that a lot of people are going to start like, you know, getting on him because he's, he's now a known commodity, right? Like they, people know how good Carlos, uh, how good Dylan Barrero is. So it's going to make sure that he doesn't have as much space. He has to do a little bit more on the field as that dynamic player um, I think he's best when he's allowed to be on that left flank and, and just receive the ball and then go at guys. But when he's asked to do a little bit more, it becomes difficult. So I'm not, I mean, it's, it's the open cup, right? Like it's, I'm not really here to say like, Oh, he's not as good as people thought, or he'll never go to Europe or he's a, a boss. Like he's someone that's very, very talented. He played with a very mixed lineup on Tuesday night. Um, it was against a, you know, a lower tier opponent Uh, So I I think you would wish that he had a a better night, that he had a better performance and really showcase himself. But I'm not concerned about his ability at this point.
1: And I think too, he still looked dangerous. Um, Obviously I think people are going to remember that missed shot, but he still was pretty dangerous. He was still very effective down that left flank. Um, I think for me, it's the body language of, I shouldn't be here. And people were making the jokes that maybe Bruce Arena is punishing him for that red card for playing him. I think it was just a rotation thing. I think Ema played last weekend. They didn't want to, to start him again. I, I think they just wanted to rotate players in and out. And since Barrera was unavailable last weekend, they are playing him this weekend. A little surprised he got 86 minutes in this game, to be completely honest with you. Um, I thought maybe they would give him a half and then take him off to rest him for, for Cincinnati. But... Um, I think he was still pretty good. Um he was still dangerous at times. It was the body language that was more concerning for me, where, you know, he'd turn the ball over or there'd be a pass that wouldn't be completed or something and he'd throw up his hands and he'd just kinda of walk back while Hartford's taking it the other way. Um, you know, his missed shot, he looked real frustrated. Um, I don't know, just it might be an emotional maturity thing with him. Um so we'll we'll see going forward. Um Lexi says, I know we've been, uh, we've said to pump the brakes on the buck hype, but I'm all on the hype train. He seemed to show great leadership skills today and played really well. Do you think we'll see him again Saturday or will Bruce rest him up?
2: Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, I asked Bruce Arena about uh, players getting healthier and, and having a more complete roster. And he said that um, he's going to finalize things on Friday, which is normally when they come up with their roster and figure out who's going to be available. Um, but he does hope to have a little bit more of a complete roster. You know, one person that was missing last weekend was Latif Blessing, and I think Latif Blessing is very good. Uh, I think that he's someone that puts a lot of pressure on the ball. He's a very experienced individual. He is someone that has a tireless en- engine. That he's he's kind of known for maybe having one or two slip ups, especially with passing per game. Um, but when it happens and he makes a mistake, he's the first one to like chase down the the person that has the ball the opponent that has the ball and I think you mentioned that on Tuesday night there was a few players that once they lost the ball they kind of stopped and they said all right well it's somebody else's turn to defend and a player like Latif Blessing um doesn't have that mindset he wants to win every single thing so if he makes a mistake almost like a Jermaine Jones type of situation that if he makes a mistake then he's going to be the one to make up for it and he's going to make sure that everything goes smoothly uh so that's a so if Latif is available, I imagine that he's going to go. Um, that's obviously a lot of minutes already for Noel Buck this week. Um, and and he would probably come on later, later as a substitution. I have no problem, though, with Buck starting. Uh, I think we're seeing enough tape now to understand how, how talented and how good he is as a player. Again, what I'm most impressed by is his defensive awareness and his ability to pick out um, the ball and, and block passing lanes. And I think that that's even gotten better over the course of this season, that when I saw him in the first couple of games, I'm like, guys, ah, you know, he's not always in the right spot. And I think now he is. And I think that he has a good relationship with Polster. Um, so he's someone that, that the Revs have to think about. How do you how do you use him? How do you get him on the field? Um, you know, do you go with a 4-4-2 and, and you play Barrero up top? And when you play him up top, it's a little bit more of that. Like he he goes out to that left side and tries to receive the ball in the wide area, as opposed to playing central. Um, so these are good problems for Bruce Arena to have. It's why the Reds are at the top of the Eastern Conference. Because you know, if you lose one player, if you lose Henry Kessler, well, Andrew Farrell's there to step in. Okay. If you lose Latif Blessing, well, guess what? You have no no buck. So the fact that this team is deeper. Um, it's probably tough for someone like Noel Buck because he he probably would be starting on other MLS teams. Uh, but it's also a good thing for the Revolution because you're going to need that type of depth if you want to have a good season. And the Reds right now are having a good season.
1: No, I agree 100%. And I think they'll have to find ways to put him in the lineup as the season goes on. In terms of Cincinnati, I'm not totally sure we're going to see him playing Saturday. I think Bruce is going to play his strongest 11. And I think right now he feels that's Polster and Latif Blessing. But I wouldn't be shocked if Buck plays. Maybe if Blessing hasn't been fully participating in practice i know that he's had some uh immigration uh, uh he's working on immigrating his family over from ghana so maybe he's been limited in practice or has been absent a little bit uh maybe buck uh, is a little more fresh uh but i, I expect him to be sitting and, and going back to his uh, bench role that we've seen in recent weeks so uh Traeger says on a scale of signing Messi to signing michael bradley how dumb was carlos heels yellow card tonight could have major implications later in the tournament From what I found, you need three yellow cards for a suspension, and this is Carlos Hill's first uh, U.S. Open Cup yellow. So unless there's a deep run, I'm not too concerned about it uh, overall. Um, So I don't think it's too dumb, uh, but obviously you don't like to see a yellow card late in the game for your best player there. I think this also might come down to who's, who's your next opponent. Uh, Cause if you're playing Pittsburgh, you probably won't need to to run out Carlos Heel, and you can rest him for another round. Um, so I I, I, I don't know, maybe on a scale of one to 10 here, I'll, I'll pick it a two or a three, uh, but uh, obviously not something you like to see.
2: Yeah. And, and just to add one thing to that, um, Bruce Arena did say that he was not necessarily going to use Carlos heel unless they needed a goal, unless they needed him on, on the field. So, like you mentioned, next round Carlos Hill might not play, um, and that would you know change the dynamic and what we think of it.
1: Now, if he gets a second yellow, I'll probably uh, revisit this question and feel like I got it wrong. But as of right now, panic meter uh, not not very high on that one. But as I say, you'd, you'd rather have zero yellow cards than one yellow card, so it's certainly a little frustrating on some level. So. Um, Eric says not much of a celebration from Justin Renick's after his goal. Where's the joy? Uh, also has says, uh, what's your thoughts on Romney having running up that hill as his goal song? Uh, yeah. Uh, Justin Renick's all business, huh? It seemed like for someone who, who's, you know, not very much in the, the lineup uh, that seemed to be his moment. Just ran over, grabbed the ball, picked it up uh, all business from Justin.
2: Yeah. It, it kind of surprised me that he went and grabbed the ball because um that's usually something you do when you're, you're losing the game, right? Like you want to go grab the ball. Guys, let's grab another goal. Maybe that was the message that he was trying to send, that we're not done yet. Let's keep on going. Uh, I think we saw last year that Rennix, you know, Renix wants to play, and that's like any other player. And last year, if you remember when he scored the goal, he kind of did the, like, don't sleep on me um, celebration. So I just think that he, he's someone that wants to be on the field. And he's trying to prove that he can do it. And, and you know, imagine if he went out on Tuesday night and ended up scoring, you know, two or three goals, you know? Like, so I think that he was just someone that wanted to be out there and playing um, all business. And uh, Dave Romney, uh, I thought he had a good night. I think that he's showing more and more his worth, right? Um, he's such a good, good solid veteran. Uh, he goes out there and, and performs well. Oh, and I, and I just want to mention, I'm not sure if there's a question about this. I also liked Andrew Farrell as a midfielder. This is the second time that we've seen it. Uh, obviously, right now he's needed in the back line, um, and that's where he's most comfortable. But I, I love the idea of him being a high energy, like high pressing, um, you know, destroyer type of midfielder uh, late in games. I think that'd be a really cool substitution uh, pattern if if everyone's healthy. Uh, but obviously, Edgar Farrell would want to be you know playing more than, minutes than that. So we'll see.
1: Silverfoot says, as the Open Cup is meaningless until the final, considering the complete lack of lack of current depth, which player who wasn't rested will hurt the most? Uh, hurt us the most against Cincy? Uh,
2: you know, I mean, obviously it's the big guys that you're you're used to. I mean, this is a really good team. Um, you know, Vasquez is, is really good. You know, Brenner's back in practice as well. Uh, I think this going to be a really good test for the back line uh, and see what type of chemistry they have.
1: And then we also got a question here from Alfred. Uh, This is a bit off the wall. We'll see how we can do. But uh, since Rennix hits against USL competition, can you think of a particular player in USL who we could trade him for that would instantly make our bench better in an area of need? So I, I did some research here. And I'm, I don't know how realistic these trades are going to be because they're going to be trading for some heart and souls of players. But uh, one one player, the Aaron Malloy, right now is a midfielder. I believe he w- went to Michigan State. He was a first-round draft pick in the Super Draft a few years ago. Uh, he was an MVP candidate a few years ago, currently leading the league in uh, chances. Uh, I think that's an area you could go with uh, if you're looking for some midfield depth behind Carlos Hill. Uh, my first choice would be Sean Touch of uh, Louisville, a left back. I believe he's been the top uh, all-league player first team for three years running he scored nine goals last year which was a usl championship record for a defender um pretty solid player 31 years old six foot one uh kind of in the same build as ben sweat uh but seems better than ben sweat so if i could trade justin renex for anyone it'd be sean touch uh also if you wanted to kind of go for a backup goalkeeper there's this guy bill hamid down in memphis uh who, who might be uh pretty interesting so uh and if you wanted more left back depth uh there's also this guy for tampa bay uh his name is Ryan Spaulding. I think that might be a, a good fit. So um yeah, uh, Seth, any uh, any players from USL that you'd trade uh Justin Rennox for?
2: I, I think what you look for is a defender. Um, you know, I think the Revs need to add a center back at some point uh, over the course of this season, uh or maybe some outside back depth. Um, you know, Mitch Tainter might be interesting. You know, he's someone that, that was in the Revs Academy setup at some point, uh spent some time with Toronto FC. Uh, he's currently with San Antonio FC. Um, do know, maybe someone like him because the organization already knows him well. I, I do think that you know Redix will would probably you know do well in the championship. Uh, that'd be a good setting for him. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I don't know if a trade is coming, but maybe that's his future at some point to play in the championship.
1: And based on one game too, i trade him for Prince ID. Uh, my, my goodness, that guy was uh, really good. What a pass from him. I, I know we haven't talked about Hartford's goal yet, uh, but that was a phenomenal play. They certainly earned that one. Um, a really a, a great player. Um, and I would not be shocked if he moves up to a, a higher team in the USL championship, or, or maybe gets a chance with the MLS side. Cause um, that was a, a great showing from him the other day. Um one more question here, uh, thoughts on YouTube chat, uh, Seth, were you following along with the YouTube chat? I tried getting involved a little bit at the end, uh, trying to make some jokes, worked a corncob TV reference in there, um, but uh, it seemed to be a little off the rails,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's fun. I mean, I think that um, you saw Her- Hercules Gomez mention something like this that you know the rise of of fan engagement is really important that. You know, fans uh, commentating on their team, you know, making videos about their team, you know, joining in the, the conversation. That's going to be really important, I think, with sports going forward. Twitter's always been that kind of avenue. Um, but there's a little bit more of that. You know, it, it's quick on the, the YouTube uh, conversation side. Um, it, it's also it's also a little bit more anonymous because it's not like linked to your profile. You can't like click and then like go through everyone's tweets. Um, and it's not as permanent. So yeah, I think, I think it's really fun. And I think that, you know, it's, it's something to try to integrate in the future. Um, Cause I, yeah, I think that like it, it, the more the fans can talk to each other, the more the community feels in- ingrained and they want to you know talk more revolution soccer. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. We need our own Cavite show. Uh so uh, I know Kansas City's got one of those we need one of those in New England. Uh we did get one more question here uh from Dewan season it was over Discord he wanted to make sure I got this one. Uh any thoughts on Revs le- legend and USL MVP Sean Coley signing with Monterey Bay FC? Also thoughts on Benjamin Ngua starting for in the I don't even know how to say this but uh Stade Brunchen against Cholet? um he also mentions he's scouting the super league and found two players he thinks the revs could use uh Saba camara and paul jose mpoku i uh, think the revs could give either of them a chance
2: yeah I, I think it's always interesting to to look up uh you know former former revolution i know that this week the um the, the mailbag uh the paid mailbag so if you're a subscriber to um, theblazingmusket.com, you're able to submit questions each week and then one of our, our writers uh, gives you responses and one of the questions was you know, uh, unknown or lesser known uh, Revolution players and for me, some of the, p- the people that I brought up were um, O'Brien Woodbine and I actually went down in 2014 down to Tucson to like, interview players and whatnot and uh, I asked for O'Brien Woodbine and the PR director at the time was like are you sure? Like, you really want to talk to him? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I want to talk to him. I'm like, she's like, all right, go, go ahead. And, and the question I really wanted to ask was why do they call you the Reno Beckham? And he, he's like, I'm just OB man. Like, I don't know why they call me that. Like they call me that back home, but I'm just OB. And for me, I just, I love that moment. It's such an obscure moment. Nobody cares. I'm sure like nobody really read that article. Uh, but I I always love that. And one of my favorite things to do in the press box is, um, to t- to talk to like someone like Sean Donahue who's been around for a long time, and to uh, you know go back and forth about random uh, Revs players, uh, the, the the Jose Mourinho uh, saga back in the day, you know he's our number nine, then he doesn't want to come, like stuff like that is just it's it's folklore, it's it's good times.
1: I, I think at some point, if we had more time to do this, we would tell the stories of the lesser known Revs players Um, because there's a a generation of Revs fans that don't know the saga of uh, Marco Perovic or or anything like that. And uh, I know DeWan Season also sent me the um, Wikipedia page of, I think it was Jeffrey Castillon, who, uh, and by the way, shout out to James Downing, who apparently was, I know he edits Wikipedia pages. So I think uh, this was his work, Um, but uh, essentially said that in his initial interview with the media or initial talk with the media, he said he was coming to change uh, the revolution and MLS uh, for the better, Uh, He made one appearance with 14 minutes or something like that. Uh, So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of kind of comical episodes in Revolution history that I think a a lot of people have kind of forgotten about. And I could rant for days about Shauna Coley uh, and how uh, the Revolution really dropped the ball, not loaning him to Rochester and seeing what they had in him and then trying to carve out a role for him. And instead they let him go and he went to FC Cincinnati when they were in the USL. and He won a golden boot there uh, and he should have been in a backup role for the Revolution. But that is okay. Uh, so yeah, that's a, a bit of a sore spot for me. I guess he came back and didn't really do anything with New York city FC, but um, yeah. And by the way, apparently Antonio de retired. I don't know if I've mentioned that on the podcast. Um, I was looking at a former rev center backs that they could have fill in for uh, Henry Kessler. Apparently Della retired. He's 31. So uh, congrats on his retirement, I guess, but it uh, seems like there's something left in the tank. So uh, Seth, any final comments here?
2: No. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this weekend. It's, it's another uh, big game for the revolution. It's a measuring stick. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's classic MLS where if they win, you know, it's important and it looks good. If they lose, it's like, well, there's still, you know, what, 24 games less than the season. Very similar to LAFC. You know, when they lost 4-0 to LAFC, people started freaking out. But now those people look a little bit foolish, right? Like it, this team appears to be a good team. This team appears to have some good depth there. Um, I'm really curious about what this team does in the, the summer transfer window. I just, I got to imagine they'll do something. Um, and my hope is that that something will put this team a little bit over the top or, or solidify things a little bit more going into that final stretch of the season. So uh, Saturday should be a big game and looking forward to what the Revolution will do.
1: Revolution are plus 120 favorites. Draw option is plus 235. FC Cincinnati is plus 215. Those odds are at DraftKings as of 1 p.m. on Thursday. Seth, you guaranteeing a win, yes or no?
2: Oh, I'm guaranteeing you a win. Oh,
1: let's do it. Two of two. Guarantee a win. Guarantee a win. We'll go out on a limb. Uh, Seth, I need to let you go because you have an interview with Kalen Carr, which through the magic of editing and technology, we will bring to our listeners now.
2: All right. So we are fortunate enough to have Kalen Carr on the podcast on Revolution Recap with us. Kalen Carr, of course, is a commentator for MLS Season Pass, also a former player playing with the Houston Dynamo as well as the Chicago Fire. Uh, Kalen, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Awesome to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on.
2: So I want to start a little bit about the Revolution big picture. Uh, During your playing days, it was a little bit different of a Revolution team. Uh, I did a 2014 oral history uh, with Jay Heaps, and he talked about how uh, the Revolution wasn't necessarily a destination that players wanted to go to. And he said that once players went there, they loved it, they really enjoyed uh, the experience, but... Um, players didn't want to be traded to the new england revolution necessarily and and there was even stuff on like the benny and sal podcast talking about players even saying like i'd rather retire than going to new england it feels like this is a whole different revolution organization the training center which i believe you toured spending money on big dps Um, from your playing days to now do you recognize this revolution team
0: it's funny those i missed that podcast by the way the benny salike podcast that was so good um, and they also used to give Houston a lot of a lot of uh, trouble, too. They, they came after Houston to say that I think it was honestly between New England and Houston as the two places you wouldn't want to go, <laughs> which is funny to me because when I joined MLS, those were the two best clubs, in my opinion. Um, and and, you know, as far as the clubs that were going back to back in those MLS cups, um, but just so difficult to play against both of them, I think were known for that so much talent. I think uh there's no disrespect to the newest generation, but I also still think if you put those old Revs teams up against some of the best teams in major league soccer today, I think the same thing for those Houston teams. They were they were right up there. But I mean, when you look at the way the league has evolved, I think it's really interesting that New England has really evolved with it. At the I think there was a point in time where, yeah, maybe it was true that it was things were dropping off and I think you could say the same thing for my old Houston team or my old Chicago team. And I think over the last few years, I think especially um with Bruce Arena coming in, you've seen a lot of the changes come. The training facility as you mentioned is amazing. I got to tour it. Um it would be an incredible place to go to work every day. As you know, that's where you spend most of your time as a player where you Really build what the team culture and um, camaraderie is. And so the idea that you could go to a training facility like that every day is amazing. Um, And then, yeah, I think even just like some of the signings they've made coming from abroad Petrovic, um, I think big time you see the places they've sold players to. I saw Tejan Buchanan at uh, Bruges, but now linked to going to Inter. Dylan Barrero, I don't know if you sign a 20 year old. Uh, Colombian international without making those types of sales going abroad I don't think that's the type of player or profile I could I could have imagined going to a New England revolution I think maybe LAFC or Atlanta United fits the profile a little bit better so um I assume at some point he will be moved on to Europe as well and when that happens you go back the fact that you can go back to South America and say hey look we've got Tayshawn Buchanan potentially at Inter we've got Dylan Barrero somewhere else like ha- where else would you like you know to go. Why would you not come to New England? So I think there there is a big shift that has happened, and um, you're seeing it on the point on the field um, with the points. And then I think also even when you look at the players that have gone abroad and the success they're having.
2: Yeah, I do want to talk about the current Revolution team, but I, I'm a longtime Revolution follower reporter. Uh, and you mentioned BSI. My favorite thing is always the stories that come out of it. Uh, you played the Revolution a lot. You scored your first ever goal against the Revolution. Uh, playoff games at Chicago, Houston. You got to tell me one story, one, one good memory or, or bad memory of you know, playing against the Revolution. What really sticks out to you um, when you play that team in history?
0: Well, this might say something about me, but I do remember before I scored my first goal against the Revs, which was at home, I had a game in New England. And I missed a sitter, and it was a ball came across the box, and I was I was desperate to get a goal. I had started the preseason really well. I'd come in thinking I was going to score a bunch of goals in MLS right away, and it was not uh, the case (laughs) to begin with. And so I remember the fans giving me such a hard time behind the goal, um, uh, where all the supporter section is, and uh, you know that was a tough day for me. But I, I think actually a lot of tough days at. New England just lose Taylor Twelman's bicycle kick. I had a close look at that one in the playoffs with Chicago. Um, I'm trying to remember some other tough ones, but I mean those revs teams, as I mentioned, were so good. And when people mention, ask me who was the player I liked playing against the least during my time in MLS, Jay Heaps is generally the first name that pops up to me. Um, he was just such a tough defender. Uh, he was just you know, if you gave him, sometimes he would jump in on a tackle that you weren't expecting him to lunge in for. And then other times he'd sit back when you were expecting him to jump in. Just really difficult to read. Great athlete, understood the game very well. Great competitor. Um, So, yeah, you mentioned Jay Heaps. I, I started having some flashbacks and not not always good ones for me.
2: So before we get to the current team, I do have to ask the Taylor Twelman bicycle kick iconic moment. Was it a dangerous play? Should it have counted?
0: <laughs> it should. It should have counted. I wish it didn't um in for you know my own benefit and for our you know Chicago Fire benefit but yeah I was uh it was an amazing goal and yeah no I would I would hate to see that one taken off for the sense of just like the drama even when you think of like best goals in in MLS playoff history that one's got to be right up there for me as one of the best ones so yeah I can be I can be a neutral observer and pained by it but yeah i was i was pretty close i had a really good look at it i'm glad my teammate deson robinson his face was right by that foot didn't get uh didn't get hit by it but at the same time um yeah you got to take your hat off taylor uh he he deserved that one
2: well i appreciate that the the walk down memory lane let's talk about the current revolution team uh big storyline right now is giacomo veroni back-to-back starts scoring two goals uh he looks like he's getting a little bit more in form a little bit more chemistry You yourself, a goal scorer. What are you seeing of Giacomo Veroni? Will this player become the DP that the Revolution need?
0: He looks confident. He looks very confident. I I was on the game um, commentary for the Montreal match where he came in and got his first goal of the season, and that was off a Petrovic assist. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, it said a lot about Montreal, I think, and where they are at the time, that they would allow a goal kick to... But at the same time, take nothing away from Vrioni, the way he brought the ball down off his chest, the way he drove at the back line, cuts it across, you see that left foot. Um, For a guy his size, even the way he drew the red card in this last match, he he does dribble well. He can drive at a back line and and potentially beat a guy. Um, And his movement in the box has been impressive. I think the one thing you'd say is, where his goals have come have maybe come against sporting Kansas city and Montreal, maybe not the best competition, especially as I mentioned the way that uh, Montreal goal was scored. But I thought when he Kansas city ones, you look at the the quality that he showed and you know, really the movement, as I mentioned, that's impressive. That said, I don't know if Bruce is fully committed to him. Um, this is not anything Bruce has said. It's just from my perspective. And I think he's likes Bobby Wood. I think he is a manager from what I know playing against him over the years, is going to play the hot hand. Um, and I think right now, Vrioni has been the hot hand, but I could see at times a different formation where you see Gustavo Bo and Barrero. I could see a formation where, you know, you go with Bobby Wood, his hold up play a little bit more. I could see Josie finding his way in. So I, I wouldn't say that we're now seeing necessarily the emergence of the designated player number 9 that is going to change the season for um for the revs but i do say out of that group you would say frioni definitely has the highest ceiling and probably be the best case scenario if if he were the one that were to emerge as as the one to win that position
2: yeah i think we're we're seeing some good things out of him but a couple of things that i'm still struggling to see is his ability to hold up the ball back to goal and that's something that bobby wood has done very very well connecting with carlos heal And also some of his runs in the box. He had a really good one against Sporting KC. But there's been other times where he he doesn't seem like he's making the quite right run. But that's the same thing with Adam Buxa, right? That 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 was a big criticism of him that he didn't always make those right runs. Uh, Speaking of Adam Buxa, there's a little bit of rumors, rumblings going on. Um, Taylor Twellman saying that he would be surprised if Adam Buxa isn't back in MLS uh, this summer. Uh, I asked Bruce Arena about it, and he said, "We'll definitely look into it if that's something that's a possibility." Um, do you think that adding Adam Buxa would be a good idea, um, even if it's a short-term loan this year?
0: Yes, absolutely. I think it would be a great idea, and I, I think, for me, for a number of reasons. One. I always think bringing a player back into a team is so much easier because you get rid of that transition. That is so difficult in Major League Soccer for new players to get settled, to get adjusted. That can take some time. We're seeing that with Dylan Barrero. He was good last year, but had some nice moments, but had some injuries and didn't quite fit, uh, wasn't quite able to hit the ground running. Even when I look at uh, New York City, the way they've been able to bring back Santi Rodriguez, the way they bring brought back James Sands. Some of those players have come right back into the team and immediately had an impact. So I I think Buxa could do the same in that sense. Um, And I think for the Revs, as we talk about the history, it's really about MLS Cup. Uh, I don't, winning Supporter Shield is nice. It's great. It's a tough achievement, ton of respect. But I think for me, MLS Cup is still you know, that's that's the trophy that you want to get. And I think especially for the Revs, that's that's got to be it. I don't have to tell you guys um, at all. And so I think the idea of really maximizing that ceiling towards the playoffs, I think the idea of getting Buxa back towards the back half would give you a big, big opportunity to make a legitimate run at that.
2: I got one more current question, then we're going to put you on the hot seat, go through a little bit of a survey. I hope you're ready for it. Um, another big piece of, uh, of of news is that the transfer window has has shut. And uh, the Revs are where they are. Obviously, it opens up again this summer. When you look at this Revolution team, what do they need?
0: They look good. I mean, I I really like depth is one of the places where I I think the Revs have already been tested a little bit. We've seen Holster miss a match. We've seen uh, Buck step in. He's emerged to really be able to play a few different positions and help out. Um, Latif Blessing was gone, been able to withstand. Tesla, Farrell steps in, so you have some nice pieces. Rioni steps up with you know the injuries around Bo- Gustavo Bo and um, and and some of the other players. So I, I think that you could always add some depth, but I do like some of the young players that they've been able to get some meaningful minutes this early in the season. But I think the number nine position would be the place um, to really do it because Gustavo Bo likes to roam a little bit, he likes to stretch the back line, but maybe not going to give you that reference point in the hold up play. I, I really like Bobby Wood. I think, as you mentioned, his holdup play brings a lot to a team that you don't necessarily um, always notice. Um, but I, I think you probably, the idea of a Buxa or somebody like that fits that profile, I think would be huge for for the ref. So that'd be the one place I would look at and say, um, yeah, that'd be the position to strengthen. Now, if you lose a player of Somebody comes in for Petrovich. somebody comes in for a Barrero a little bit earlier than you're expecting. That changes the picture. But I think they've done a really good job of of replacing a Matt Turner, replacing a Tayshawn Buchanan. And the Buxa one is one where you're still kind of thinking, OK, who's going to really grab that?
2: Yeah, it definitely lingers. And it also makes me think about that Supporters' Shield winning season because the Reds did nothing during the summer transfer window. And obviously they still win the Supporters' Shield, but you do wonder if you bring in a depth piece or you bring in an, uh, maybe a piece to like fill in for someone who's about to leave and make that transition a little smoother that could have been helpful. So I'll be curious to see, especially with Henry Kessler, uh, Kessler's injury, um, if they add someone, or especially that number nine looming as well. All right, Kalen, we've gotten to the point that we we're gonna ask you some questions. Uh, I'm sure this is like your least favorite thing as a pundit because you know everyone prints them out afterwards and, and they're ready to, to, to say like, look what Kalen Carr thought of us, uh, but fans love it. Fans absolutely love putting you on the hot seat. So I'm gonna ask you some rapid fire questions. Uh, you can answer them you know, quickly, give me a sentence. Um, and we'll see how you do okay all right
0: all right I'll do my best all right who have you been the most impressed by this season LAFC I just think the way that they have come off winning a championship often teams I see in past or teams I've played with or against is there's that championship hangover even going to a final can give you a championship hangover and they have really have not skipped a beat. It's the fact that they've been able to just kind of pick up where they left off last year, add pieces. Bwonga has been on fire, just getting stronger. And then the the way they've been able to manage the Champions League and the league play, that's something that has, you know, knocked down a lot of teams in the past. So the idea that they're still at or near the very top of the conference and the league, and also now with that late goal, in really good position heading back home with an away goal in the second leg of the CONCACAF Champions League semifinal. I'd probably have to say it's still a, LAFC is the most impressive to me. Who's gonna be in the MLS Cup final? Ooh, well, I just made an argument for LAFC. So I'll probably stick with that in the uh in the Western conference. In the East, that feels a little bit more up for grabs for me. Um I think right now this matchup we have over the weekend, New England, Cincy, feel like a pretty good sort of final. But I, I think New England, uh, New York City, could also add a piece. Um, Atlanta's right up and around it. Philly, of course, defending champions. We saw them last night. But I would say if I had to go out on a limb right now, towards the end, I'm gonna probably go with who I think is the best back line because I think that makes the difference, and I. Ooh, that's tough between New England and Philly. I'm going to probably have to go with Philly in this one just because I think that experience, um, I, think they, I think I'd think i have to give them the slight edge.
2: Let's turn to the Revs. Do the Revs have any all-stars this summer?
0: Oh, yes. Carlos Hill and Petrovic for sure. I think I uh, have to be on the all-star team. Um, I think those two are no brainers Um, but I could also see one of the fullbacks Um, I could see Jones getting into that group Um, I think I think those three would probably be the best bet so you don't think
2: uh, they're going to win MLS Cup it sounds like but do you think the Revs win any trophies this year
0: Um, I think MLS Cup would be the one that they have the uh, the best chance at Uh, I think Supporter Shield would be up there but I don't know with what you have to put into win supporter shield. It's very rare that I you you're able to do the double. Um, and I wouldn't be too worried about that if I were New England. I think trying to get home field um through the playoffs and and then uh, be healthy and in good form heading towards the playoffs. but I, I think they're a legitimate contender towards MLS Cup, but I just didn't pick them in in when i when I got pushed in the hot seat here. I had to go with Philadelphia when the MLS Cup rematch.
2: The he does stuff to people, I totally understand. Uh, will Bruce Arena retire this year?
0: No, no way. No, I, I don't think so at all. I mean, I, I think Bruce has a lot of time left, um, or as long as he wants, at least. And, you know, the idea that he, he's been able to turn around, I think really the trajectory of a franchise is pretty impressive. He's integrated young players. He seems up for it. He seems into it. You know, I think he's he has that sort of mystique about him of just, winning so many um, titles in the past. And I I think until he gets a trophy, um, but I think even if he does win one, knowing him, he'd he'd probably want to stack a couple on top of each other. So I I say, no, he's going to keep going.
2: Will any players, revs players get sold this year?
0: I think at the end of the year, yeah, it's hard to imagine Petrovic would be here longer than the end of this year. Um, I think Dylan Barrero is, for me is one of the more exciting players for me to watch Uh, young players in MLS so I think if he continues the way he has to start the season he's able to kind of carry that and even maybe even level up a bit with that consistency I could see him being gone at the end of the season as well but I, I, I would say from what I would expect I would expect to see them stay through the season
2: what happens first groundbreaking of a Revs stadium or the Revs win MLS Cup
0: MLS Cup yeah, I mean, I would love to see both happen um, and no shade. I mean, I love coming up to Foxborough, but uh, I've done it for years. As long as I can remember first Braintree, I was saying Braintree, then um, now Foxborough. I'm thinking about staying in Providence just to test that out at, over a weekend. But yeah, I mean, getting a, a stadium closer downtown would be amazing, but I, I would expect that to be some years off. And I think, and I think the team's going to win an MLS Cup before that.
2: I got three more for you. Uh you're starting a you're playing in a 4v4 tournament. What three other current res players are on your team?
0: Oh wow. I mean, I feel like I want to lean towards some of the older guys cuz I wouldn't I I think honestly um I'm going with the experience. I feel like a small side I'm going to pick Josie, Omar, guys that I like in, in my era. So I, we have that understanding. I've lost Omar so many times also in my career that it'd be nice to be teammates. I feel like maybe I would win win something. Um, so I'll go Josie, Omar, myself. And then I need like one, I think we probably need someone to do a little bit more of the running. So I'll, I'll add an old buck to the list. I like that. Who's the best teammate you've ever had? Best teammate, I would say... I've had some really good ones. Um, I'll throw Brian Ching in there. He was, um, yeah, such a good teammate. I got a phone call when I got traded to Houston, and it was a Hawaii area code, and I was like, "Hawaii area code? I don't know anybody there." And it was Ching, and he you know, welcomed me to the team, which I thought was amazing for the captain to call somebody. I wasn't a big star, huge profile, or anything like that. It, you know, help set me up with Stu Holden's mom, who was a real estate agent, to help me find a place to live and. Um, we've, we've stayed close friends over the years. So, um, a great partner to play up front with as well. So I I would, I would go Chingy in this one.
2: All right. Last thing here, uh, we're going to go with the Apple synergy, obviously MLS season pass. The big show is Ted Lasso. I know you've only seen season one. Uh, who is the best character on the show? Uh, Ted Lasso.
0: Ooh, that's, there's some good ones in this. Um, The funny thing is this guy, Zava, I haven't even seen it yet, but everybody, there was a guy at my local pub that uh, I talked to about soccer all the time. And he started watching Ted Lasso and he said, hey, I saw this guy, Zava, and I looked up Zlatan um, and I saw you interviewing Zlatan. And then he's like, I had no idea that you were doing on-camera work because I just talk about soccer with him. And he's like, you interviewed Zlatan? That's really cool. And so I've been getting a lot of people hitting me up about the Zava character, so I gotta watch the new season. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll lean towards that. It sounds like it's a pretty spot on impersonation of uh, of Zlatan, who is a trip to meet in real life, crazy guy. Yeah.
2: Uh, my hope is that when you watch it, there's actually a character that's also based on you and you point to it and you're like, wait, that's actually me, season three, that's Kaylin Kai. Uh, that would be a real trip. Kaylin, thank okay. you so much for uh, joining the conversation. We appreciate your time. Uh, can you tell us where we can find you on social media and, and how to find the game this weekend?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll be on, um, tonight or sorry, not tonight, tomorrow, tomorrow night. No, I don't even know what day it is. That's how crazy things have been for me. Saturday night, 7 30 PM Eastern time uh, on Apple TV, MLS season pass. Um, I'll be with Callum Williams, who's my partner there. Um, been really enjoying working with him and especially coming up to the matches at the revs. If you want to follow me on social media, Twitter at Kalen Carr, C-A-L-E-N-C-A-R-R. And then on Instagram, I'm at CA2. So feel free to hit me up.
2: And uh, make sure you check out the movement on Apple TV. They're older episodes, but they're evergreen. Uh, they're absolutely a great look into to players' lives and what's going on in the league. So Kalen, thank yeah. you so much. Thanks so much for having me on.